Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. This week I'm going to be speaking as a second part to uh, something I started last week, which was called, the title of the message was called, Preparation for Visitation. Preparation for Visitation. This is the second and final part of this series. And I want to, this message today is, I could say last week we talked about, and I, I shared with you from Second Kings 18, about the fact that I believe that when we want to see a visitation from God in our churches, that we need to prepare certain things. How many of you know that if you want to prepare for God to visit, or, or a person to visit, should I say, you'll prepare first before that person comes? As we know, Zacchaeus didn't have much time to prepare. He had to take Jesus in, and who knows what was hanging around in the house. But most of us need to prepare. And one of the first things I'm just going to quickly summarize, because I believe that there's two major things that we need to consider for God to come and visit, for preparing for a visitation. That is for God to visit and people to visit. I believe the Bible says if we lift Jesus up, he will draw all men to himself. So there's a a, a follow-on to if God is lifted up, if God is the center of what we're doing here at King's Church, and I hope in most churches, not sure I always see that, but if God is the center of everything we're doing and our focus is on Him, if we lift Him up, it will draw people to Himself. So I believe that as a church we need to prepare for God to come and visit. We need to give him room, but also get ready for people to come. Because I believe that in that, in the hour that we're in right now, people are looking for an answer. They're looking for an answer. Something different to what the world offers. And we can become so much like the world sometimes, and I said this last week, that we We forget, we try to match the world to get people to come in. I think it was a man called Leonard Ravenhill. He studied up north in Cliff College, if anyone knows that. And that man said that if there's a fire, if God, if there's a fire of God in a church, you don't have to advertise it, people come running. And I believe that God has started to stir. I don't, I'm very reluctant to use the words revival. The Bible never talks and uses the word revival, so we need to be very careful of how we use it. But I'm very conscious of the fact that God is doing something in our midst, and I shared this last week, that God is beginning to, there's stirrings of, of well, should I say, stirrings of God beginning to move in our church and through our people. And I'll tell you why that is. Simply, the reason I've seen this, the reason there's a fruit of of seeing these things happen is because people acted. The acts of the apostles didn't happen because they sat back. It, it happened because they acted. They acted. We have a faith. We need to act on it as well. 
So last week I looked at three things of preparing for God to come and visit us. Who wants God to come and visit us in a more extraordinary way? To see the lives touched. I've been in prayer meeting after prayer meeting for 13 plus years in this place. And many times we prayed this prayer. Lord, I said it last week, wet the carpets at the front with tears of repentance in this place. That's what my heart is. My heart is that people will come in here. They won't say, ah, I'm not so sure about this. Ah, I'm not so sure about that. I know God is in this place. His presence is here. And that's what they focus on. Last week we looked at 2 Kings 18 at King Hezekiah. Young, 25 year old, young man. Who wants to see, should we say, and I use this word But you know what I mean? Revival. He wants to see the presence of God in the temple restored again. And he has a job and what he does is he he goes into the temple in 2 Kings 18 and we looked at it. And the first thing he does is he goes in and he starts to clear out the temple. He clears out and purifies the temple. He gets rid of uh, different gods and we, we, we mentioned it last week. He gets rid of all these things to clear out the clutter. And what I said last week is we need to clean our hearts to prepare for God to move. We don't have to come in here and move uh, a shearer poles and uh, Moses' snake and his stick. No, we don't have to do that. But in our hearts we need to prepare. Because we are the church, remember. These seats, the building is not the church. We are the church. So our hearts are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies, we need to prepare for God to move. When he moves through us... You'll see it happen in this physical building. We need to have a committed heart, I said. A committed heart to God. Focused on Him. Putting Him number one before everything. Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will come to you. The things you desire. The things you need, should I say. And then finally, I said last week that we need to have a compliant heart. An obedient heart. A heart that says, like Hezekiah, he says he held fast to the Lord. And he did not stop following him. Amen. Some of us need to know what it is to hold fast to him, but also to prepare to walk with him as well. To take some steps of faith. These three things, I believe, is what the heart changes of what allows God to come in. I'm sure there's many more, but these are the things I've pulled out from this particular story in 2 Kings 18. But today I want to jump in part 2 to 2 Chronicles 29. And if you're there with me, we're going to read just the first few verses. Because this, these first few verses in 2 Chronicles 29 are the same story. It's the same kind of time as what we've read last week. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, here we are, it's exactly the same time as where we were in 2 Kings 18. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he says this, He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. 
This is exactly, you'd say, well, this is exactly the same story as what we read last week. He comes in the temple, he clears it out, he he asks the people to consecrate themselves and get ready. I want to look at a key thing in this one today. I want to look at what it is to prepare for people to come. Not just God. We want God to come first, then people come. We lift him up first. The first thing I think is important for us as a church, and I'm getting... I sometimes look around at ministries and churches around the world and I think, is this, is this true? Is this really happening? But I think we need to be accessible. You know, one of the things I, when I was 13, 13 plus years in, in business and I used to work in, in uh, graphic design and web development for a big company in Cambridge. And one of the things that we used to do about three or four times I worked on big website design projects, designing the websites for the company. This company was, I think it's grown to about 400 people now. And when I was there, every time it come to doing a website project, I used to think, oh no, not again. I've got to do this massive project. Because one of the things that I never uh, seemed to like out of the whole project was the first stages, which was sitting in the meeting room trying to determine who we are as people, who we are as a company. Because we had to decide what we presented to the outside of who we were. And do you know, one of the things I learned, and I did four projects there on, on websites, four major website projects. And every single time, one of the things I learned is this is that people in meetings never really understood who they were, who they were to the outside. They understood who they were on the inside. They understood who they were as a company, which their, their motives, their drive, but they never understood fully what it was like to look from the outside. And I think that one of the things that we need to be ready for is, and preparing us ourselves for is, being accessible to those who don't come every week. You see, you get up every Sunday, you, you get up, we did this morning, we're charging around, the alarm clock goes off, in our, in our house it doesn't, we trust on the kids to wake us up. In fact, this morning they didn't do it at the normal time, which worries me. But this morning, the, we looked at the clock and thought, oh no, this, they've changed. Do you know we never use an alarm clock? We just trust the kids. It's always on time. But today they didn't. But we get up. (laughs) We get up and we run around and we do our thing and we come here. We drive all the way down. We come through the doors and we, we walk in and we're here. And the meeting starts and then we go home. But we're so used to doing this, but we forget what it's like for other people. Let Ask yourself this question, because I do a lot. What is it that's going to get someone up on a morning to get into their car and think, I'm going to drive all the way down there and go through those old wooden doors at the front. And I wonder what's behind there, by the way. And I'm going to go all the way down there and go through and I'm going to see what church is like. Now there's the odd occasion this happens. But I believe that people don't necessarily know what we know. They don't understand. You know, sometimes another message, but sometimes we need to watch our terminologies and the things we use and the things we say around people when they come. Because we can talk a little bit to a thee and thou and trying to be so godly that people have got no idea what we're talking about. 
And we're not accessible. Jesus, you heard it the other week from Steve. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need to tell people about Jesus. Simple gospel. And welcome them in. He says that King Hezekiah opened the doors. The first thing, well, I hope he did to get inside, but he opened the doors to the temple. But do you know what? The first thing it says he did before he cleared out the temple, it says he repaired the doors. I don't know if you picked that up, but it says he repaired the doors. He was he opened the doors and said, in effect, we're open for business. We're open, if you un- excuse my terminology there, but we're open for business. Sometimes people, when I'm sat here in the week, they come and they walk away. They don't even think we're open for business. They don't think we're open and operating because they look at these old wooden doors and think, I wonder if there's anyone in there. We need to make this place as accessible as possible. Take down the barriers for people to come in, to go into our communities. One thing we're doing is we're already going out all the time into our communities, trying to reach people. But we also need to make this place as accessible as possible. I think that people are a bit worried sometimes about coming in these places. Because they're thinking, I'm so imperfect that if I go in there, it's just a bunch of perfect people. How wrong they are. In fact, we're probably worse. I want this church to be a one-size-fits-all church. That when people come in here, they feel they have a place. They feel that they can be, it's accessible for every single person. No class. I don't care. Do you know at one time, I'm not condoning this, but years ago in this church, when God was moving in a special way, I remember some guys off the street came in. There was a dog running around in the church. You say, well, no, I'm not asking. I'm not saying that we're going to allow these things. But do you know, sometimes when I said it last week, when God moves, things get a little bit messy. We don't understand what's going on. And you might say, no, no, but what about the kids? Yes, we need to protect the children from dogs. But I'm telling you this, I want surprises. I want God to surprise us with things, to keep us on our toes, to not get into systems and routines. A one-size-fits-all church. You come in and you know that you've got a place. You know that it's accessible to you. It's not, this is foreign to me. I don't understand this. One of the reasons why we did all the work in the building. Thank God that we did what we did. That we put the coffee bar in. Do you know the coffee bar? You might say, why do they charge? We don't make a penny. In fact, we probably lose money. The only reason we did it is to be accessible. Because do you know what? Sunday morning people know they can easily go to Costa and have a drink. We want to make it accessible. If it costs me money to pay for people, then we'll do it. He opened the doors. He said, we're open for business. Be accessible. And sometimes I believe this, that some of us, when we want to invite people in, I bet there's so many of us, every single one of us in this room has, has someone in their minds that they know they'd like to invite They know that I'd love to invite this person, but do you know what? They don't because they think it's just not there yet. The church, when it changes just a little bit like this, and then they do this, then I I will bring them. I know it, it will be great then, but you cannot find a perfect time. People are not looking to come in and find it perfect. They're looking to come in and find a place that's imperfect, just like them. Saved by grace. People where they come in and they think, ah, they're exactly like me. But they're saved. They've got something special and I want this. 
Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul said this, And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Let me tell you, we are never going to be perfect till the day he returns. There's good news for you. Don't try to be perfect. Paul said it, he says, until Jesus returns, you ain't going to be perfect. So we've got to start trying to present this perfection model that people get put off by. Because they come and they think, wow, this looks so glossy. This looks so good. I don't even know if I fit in this. I think I'm just going to retreat back to my TV at home. I'm going to stay where it's comfortable. People need to come in here and know that we are all going through a process and a work of grace. A one size fits all. I put this, we need to be accessible to the broken. Not broken to being accessible. Mark 2 verse 17, Jesus said this. Is it not the healthy who need a doctor? But the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus wants church, I believe, to be like the doctor's waiting surgery. I don't know about you, but when you get flu, and you're coughing and spluttering, and you feel really ill, and you, you, if you come down to the church and you meet other people and no one else is ill, you feel out of place, don't you? But when you go to the doctor's surgery and people are there and coughing and spluttering, you think, I'm in good company. Everyone understands how I'm feeling. And you try to look around the doctor's waiting room thinking, I wonder what's wrong with that person. I wonder if they've got this flu bug that I've got. I wonder what it is. I believe that we need to be a church that is like that. That when we come in, it's not polished. It looks as though we all know that we have issues and we all need to encourage each other. It's not my job. I'm, yeah, I'm the pastor. It's not my job to meet every single single need in this church. If I do that, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be in the doctor's surgery. And you'll know what's wrong with me. I will try my best. But I'll tell you, when the body rises up and each person works together, they work together to say, I understand your need. There's a problem here. I'm going to help you. When we do this and we work together as a body, we're saying, we understand we're in the doctor's surgery every single week. Somebody prophesied over me when I came into this job. They said, you're gonna, when you go into this job, it's gonna be like you're, um, taking on baggage of people. I said, oh, and I thought, I never thought about this. But it's true. In fact, I've got my own baggage. We've all got baggage. But we need to come and we need to know when we come in, we bring our friends here that whatever issues they've got, because let me tell you, as polished as your friends' lives may look, they've all got problems. And they all need some help. I know so many people that they look like their lives are so polished and then if you really get down to it, there's problems in every single life. And they need biblical advice. Good, sound, solid advice. And that can come from you. Hezekiah was not afraid to open the doors first and let people wander in while the work was in progress. He says he opened the doors. He didn't say he shut them behind him and put work in progress. He says he opened the doors, went in and started clearing out. I bet people start thinking, what's going on in that temple? I've just heard Hezekiah. He's been breaking up poles and things in there. 
He's been throwing. I just looked and all of a sudden I saw Moses' snake fly, uh, stick fly out of the, the door. And if you don't know what that means, read 2 Kings 18. But people must be thinking, what is he doing? Because he wasn't afraid. He said, I'm going in. I'm going to do this. We're open for business. The first thing is tell people. And he wasn't afraid to try and get things perfect. We need to not be afraid of it being a working progress. Of people coming in and us looking like we're still in progress in what we're doing. Because it's never going to look perfect. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I always think when the uh, it's great, isn't it, when the guys... The RAC guys, when you break down, and I've done this before, I've broke down, or the car's not not good, and they come all the way out. I was looking the other day, some of the guys, they just sit don't they, by the motorway, waiting for someone to break down. And then they'll go straight to them. I want to tell you this, and just think about this for a moment, but RAC, when they come out, they get out of their van and they've got their t-shirt on and they've got their, their, their trousers and the kind of workwear To say that I'm here to fix your car. But let me tell you this. If your car started to make a funny noise. If there was a few problems with it. The one thing you would never do is drive to the head office. You never pull up at RAC's head office. And think I'm just going to pop in and ask one of the guys with the suits on. To come out and fix the car. Because you know that it's not accessible. That's not the place where you go. You ring the number and the man comes to you. And he's covered in grease normally. I want our church to look the same when we're out there as what it does inside. I want head office to look exactly the same as the people that go out. That when people come in, they feel like there's people wandering around and they can get fixed wherever they are. You see, sometimes we go out and there's a temptation for us to, when people come into church, for it to all look glossy then. But it needs to look the same. It needs to talk the same language as what we do when we're out on the streets. We go out to help people. We go out to rescue people. To pull people in. And I want people to think that they can walk into the head office, should I say. And it's as accessible as what we do when we're on the streets. In Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, Jesus declares his mission statement in the synagogue. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But one thing I want you to get here is that Jesus, before he goes out on the mission, it started in the synagogue. It started in the synagogue that he says this, in, in, in other words, guys, you've been reading this scripture for a long time, but let me tell you, the model here of church is right here, and it's fulfilled in your hearing. It's fulfilled in the synagogue. How many of you know that they didn't like it? They didn't like it because the first thing it says they wanted to do is beat him up and throw him off a cliff, it says. That's a bit harsh. He declares the mission statement for the future of church. He says, this is what I've come to do. And as you know, we're supposed to be doing the same thing. If you didn't know that. Jesus says, pick up your own cross and follow me. He declares this mission statement. He says, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying... There's a one size fits all. 
I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind and bring healing. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Blessing. Jesus puts it plainly here in the synagogue. His mission for the synagogue was the same as for the street. It's exactly the same model. He says, this is what I'm going to do. They tried to throw him off a cliff. So he said, well, I'm still going to do it, but I'm going to do it on the streets. If you're not going to accept it in your nice model of what you think the synagogue or the church structure should be like. Well, I'm going to leave you to it, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to see the kingdom of my father on earth. We need to be accessible. Accessible to people. And that means accessible when people come in. But I'm telling you, we need to be accessible on the outside as well. The doors to be open for people to come in. Number two today, I believe we need to be attractive. Attractive. And that's not us being attractive. Not on the outside. It needs to be attractive what's in us. The Bible says there's treasure in us inside jars of clay. Jars of clay don't look all that attractive sometimes, do they? But the treasure does. We need to be attractive. People need to say, what is it that's in you? Because I want some of that. I want some of that. When I said it a minute ago that he opened the doors and he repaired them. He did this in a physical way. To show the people on the outside that we're he wanted to attract people to him. He wanted to attract people to the temple. Not only said the doors are open for business, but look, I'm going to refresh and renew the outside of this temple so that you can see that it looks attractive. It will draw you in. How many of you know we said already that we lift Jesus up and he will draw men? But we have to take some practical measures sometimes. We have to do things that tell people this is the message that we're in. He repaired the doors. In Titus 2 verse 10, he says that we should make the teaching of our Savior attractive. He says we should make it attractive. We have a job to make it attractive. And I think there's many great ministries out there that are reaching out to different people and and, 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 and trying new ways and new methods that are in the culture of today that draw people in. We're not in, we shouldn't be stagnant and forgetting about culture. No, we need to work with culture. We need to draw people in as long as these things don't detract us. But as Paul writes, we need to make the teaching of our Savior attractive. This isn't becoming like the world. It's not becoming like people are in the world. But it's looking at things that attract. When we have a coffee downstairs, it's just a way of saying, you know, we want to talk your language. We want to say to you, you're welcome to have a coffee in here rather than going to cost it. Hezekiah knew that if he wanted God to visit in an awesome way in that temple, if he wanted God to come and visit, he needed to direct people to the source. He needed to show them the way. How many of you know when you arrive at the airport, I always just follow Emma, but we need, she says this way and I'm running behind her with my case. I've got no idea where we're going. Do you know that in, in airports and shopping centers, there are people who are, who are, who have a special job. They call them wayfinding experts. It's true. Wayfinding experts who can help people who build places to direct people. 
When you walk into shopping centers and you look and you, I very rarely do it when I know where I'm going, but some people who've never been before, they walk straight up to this big thing that shows them, it says, you are here. You are here. And you look for the arrow. The first thing you do is, where am I in this whole picture? And then the next thing you do is, ah, where's Debenhams? There. Some people need directing. And when we've gone out on the streets and we've told people about what we're doing and we, we pray for the sick and then they get healed and some people come, we need to make sure that the outside of this church looks attractive for people to talk the language of what we've been saying. We need to understand this, the difference between the offer and the gift. You see, there's an offer for people to come. But we haven't got the gift. He has the gift. He gives the gift when they come. We cannot give anyone salvation. We don't have nothing to offer in salvation. Only Jesus Christ himself who paid the price. But we have an offer. He says go into all the world and tell them the good news. That's the offer. Bring them in and let them find the good news for themselves and receive the gift. Where a few, a few uh, months ago we were down at um, Anglia's Freshers Day. And we spent a day with thousands of people coming through. And one of the people, one of the companies that were there, and if anyone went to any of the students, Domino's Pizza. They were everywhere. Believe me, I, believe you me, I know it because I ate their pizzas all day. But they were advertising giving free pizza away. Yeah, free pizzas all day. Tim kept bringing me more and we, in, by the end of the day we'd eaten pizza nearly every five minutes to keep us going and then at the end they said, there's that much, here's another box and I couldn't eat any more. But what they were doing all day is this, they were walking around with an advert board saying, Domino's pizza free and advertising and telling people to go to this place where they could get some free pizza. The key what they wanted to do that day is this, is not just for people to have a bit of pizza and enjoy it. But the one thing they wanted to achieve is this, that the next time that student thinks about going to get some pizza, the first thing that comes into their minds is dominoes. And so they'd step out of their accommodation and think, I'm not going to cook tonight and I'm going to wander down onto Hills Road and try and find dominoes. Because I remember they were there in their bright blue and red coats and saying, free pizza. If that's what they sound like. So they, you, the student walks down Hills Road and they're looking for dominoes. Tell me, if they were walking down that road, the first thing they're going to see is dominoes lit up. Same branding, colors vibrant, the same images that they had when they were on offer saying free pizza, buy one, get one free. It was attractive to them to walk straight in. They knew where they were going. And let me tell you this, when we declare what we have the message, when we go out and share this message with people, this place needs to shout the same message. It needs to say, come in! Come in! Not stay away. Not this looks like a prison. You've got no idea what's going on in here. No, it says this, the same message that you found when you met someone, it says the same thing as much as we can do. We've repaired this inside of our church. We've done as much as we could with the money we had to do stuff inside. And I believe it's comfortable. I believe that people come in and yes, we've made a place that is quite attractive to what it was before. 
But the outside needs to speak the same language as in here. People, I have delivery guys come in here and I, I pray for anyone. I had the guy the other day come to fix the aircon units. I spent 30 minutes, gave him the gospel and prayed for his back. No one leaves here without a prayer. I have the delivery guys here. You know me. I said to the Lord, I was up here and I had to practice a bit of music with one of the guys. I said to the guy, I said, I'm sorry, mate, but you're going to have to put it with me while you repair these aircon units playing some music. He said, that's fine. As I walked down the stairs, halfway down the stairs, he said to me, I like the music. I said, Lord, I'm going to go for it. 30 minutes later, I'd said the gospel. This man's dad was a vicar. He'd grown up with his dad and he'd wandered away. By the end of it, I prayed for his back. And he was so interested. I gave him the gospel, simple. And then I said, God heals as well, you know. He got a problem. Every opportunity he can. But I want what's in here. The reason I say that is these people keep coming in here. We meet so many people through the week who are not, who are coming to fix things, do things, pat testing guys coming in. All this stuff has to happen. And when they come in, they always say this, boy, I wouldn't have thought it was like this inside from what I saw outside. I didn't think it'd be like this. And I, every time they say, I think, what are we doing? We need to do the same on the outside. To tell people what we are on the inside. I believe this sometimes that when we become saved, God does something on the inside and all of a sudden it starts to emerge the outside. It's from the inside out. God is doing something great in here. We need to let people see it. Not hide away in here having our little meetings and just enjoying church. That's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's so that people out there can hear and see. Hallelujah. It needs to speak the same language. Let me tell you what Hezekiah did. It doesn't say it in this bit of scripture here. But in 2 Kings 18, what we read last week, in 2 Kings 18, 16, it jumps 14 years later, this bit of scripture, 14 years later, after he has repaired, after he has repaired the temple, there's a man, a nasty man called Sennacherib. And Sennacherib is after Hezekiah. Hezekiah's refused to, to kind of join him with the Assyrian Empire and what they're doing. And Sennacherib threatens Hezekiah and gets him into a place where Hezekiah has to do something. And he, he gives him, he tries to pay him off. And it says in 2 Kings 18, 16 that he, he gives him the gold off the doors. He takes all the gold off the temple doors. 14 years after what we've just been talking about. In other words, now we know, we can see right here what he did that day. He put on the outside, he didn't just clean them up, he put gold on. Something precious. Let me tell you, this wasn't the presence of God, but it was a symbol. It was saying, this is a precious place. This is somewhere we want you to come in. We want to tell you on the outside, we think just as much as on the inside. And he overlaid these doors with gold. Unfortunately, 14 years later, when the enemy come, and tried to rob him, he rips the gold off. Lesson to be learnt there, whatever we're going to do, when the enemy starts to come later on, and start to rob us, to never give him a piece of us. Never back down. The very thing that God had called him to do, and to put this gold on the doors, the next minute, 14 years later, he's ripping it off. Trying to pay off. This 
nasty man who, if you read about Sennacherib, would threaten to behead and kill people from Assyria. He was scared. But that's another message in itself. But what we pick up there is exactly what, what he took off is what he put on 14 years previous. He put gold. The reason I tell you that is because he spent, he spent a bit of money. He put something good on the outside that signified the inside. He said, I'm just as conscious that we have to put precious things on the outside. It's not God. This is not God. But this signifies the inside. Precious things pointing to God's presence. Hallelujah. Why am I saying this? Why do I mention these things? Why am I talking about this? I'll tell you the reason why. is because we want to start a project in this church. It's something that's been on my heart and I've shared with the leaders here for quite a while now. It's because I have a real desire to make this place look as attractive as possible for people to walk in. And that's not just spending money and being elaborate just for the sake of it. Because do you know what? I'd like a new sound system and things to sound a bit better for you guys at the back. But do you know what? My, I'd rather have people come in first. Because people coming in for me is more important than sound. Because I know that God, I said it last week, the test of any church is if the, if the trip box flips off. We need to have the presence first. Seek the people. Bring them in. God will help us with everything else. But I want us to start a project. I'm going to call it. I don't know if you remember when we had the room put in here. So this, the floor that you're on now, at one time this used to be one big room. And we called this the upper room project. Well, I want to initiate a project. I thought, what can, what can I call it? The outer court project. If Peter Cavanagh's listening now, this is in the name of Peter Cavanagh. This is for you, Peter. But I want to call it the outer court because, like I've just been saying, I think we need to think about outside. I'm talking practically now. I don't know. Someone said to me once, they said, we're still decorating our house, by the way. It took us a year now just to do the stairs. (laughs) Me, Emma keeps saying. Somebody once said to me when we first bought our house, they said, the best thing to do is when you buy a house and it needs decorating, do it straight away because if you live in it for a long time, You'll forget what it looks like. You'll get used to it and that becomes normal to you. It's true. I think for you, you probably, you come in here, we all do it subconsciously every Sunday walking in half asleep because the alarm clock didn't wake us up. And we come in and we forget really where we're walking in. We forget the perspective of the other people that need to come. And I want to make this attractive as possible. Not just attractive, but accessible accessible. Take the fear out of these big old wooden doors. I've spent so many times making graphics and and, and writing things that we give out to people on the streets saying, behind these big wooden doors. If only they weren't there. (laughs) It saved the sentence and I won't have to explain what's behind them. But we need to tell people what's here. Some of you are probably saying, well, I like those wooden doors. Well, if you like them, buy them off us then. (laughs) Make your bid. I'm not sure where you'll fit them in your house, but we want to make some changes here. This is what we have at the moment, if you haven't seen it. And this is not what I'm going to show you now is, is not anything as definite or final as what I'm saying. But this is a, a quick artist impression in a second I'm going to show you of what we want to do. This here. I 
This is just the first stages. This is just me sharing my heart and my vision with the guys. In the long term, I want to see that wall down. I want to see the barrier away from, from the road. In another way that we can make it accessible for people to walk in. But the front, I want people to be able to see through the doors. See inside. See what we're doing. And you, you see on there, I've put a big welcome on the glass. Telling people you can come in. More bigger signage above. On the bottom of the stonework. And another thing as well, restoring the stone all the way around the door. We don't want to just put in some new doors and that's it. We want to actually restore the stonework so it looks, it looks good. Hezekiah dressed the doorposts, not just the doors. We want to do the whole thing. And we want to make this look like you can walk up to it and it feels inviting. And you can look through the door and see the coffee machine and think, I can walk in there. I feel comfortable with this. These are just small changes. These are, they cost quite a bit of money. But they're small changes. They're nothing. I'm not trying to be elaborate. But I want us to do something that tells our community. We're doing so much work going out and talking to people. I want people to be able to walk down and say, oh yeah, I I dare walk through those doors now I'm here. Or not just walk past. So you can see from this, just simple things, bit of banners and graphics, just something to try and lift up the front and then a new paving area at the front, some kind of new frontage that we can drive onto, not broken concrete. I hope you like this. I hope you see from my perspective and hopefully from other people's perspective. I don't know whether it's going to happen yet, but one thing I will share is that even on this road, on Tennyson Road, there's talks at the moment. We've been seeing that the council are proposing to put in at the front, right outside our church, to reduce this down to a one-lane traffic-controlled zone. If they do that, one of the particular areas they want to focus on is outside our church. It's not a definite, but if they do, the plan is then. It's, it's amazing that this thing came up. The council made us aware that right at the time when I was thinking about this, if we can, I'd like us to try and merge into what they're doing so that it makes our front even look bigger and going out into the community even further. We want, Hopefully we won't have the problem then of kids going out of the doors and cars going down fast. But I want it to be accessible as close to people as possible and not a wall or a cow gate that stops people from getting in. I hope you like these things. These are not just elaborate things just to spend money. In fact, it's one of those things that for years we've always thought about inside and you forget the outside. But we're here to tell people about Jesus. It needs to have that message. Hezekiah repaired the doors. He put gold on them. He put the best things on. So this project's going to cost quite a bit of money. It's looking in the region of something like 10 to 12,000 pounds, which is not much compared to the fact we did a quarter of a million pound project in here. It's a small fee compared to that. But already we want to start initiating, I will add into this, that is a low price compared to what we could have. Steve here, who came up earlier, He's a a guy who's been drawing up stone and architecture for major buildings all over England, including, is it Westminster Abbey and universities? That's his job, if you didn't know that. He's kindly drawn up all of the stonework restoration for this door for nothing for us, out of the kindness of his heart. 
He's done that already. The drawings are all finished and ready to start work. We can kick off this project straight away. And we have some funds. And I'm going to say we have funds. It's not that we're just here saying we need money. We have funds to kick this off. But we need people's help. If we can, we want to open up. We're not going to put pressure on anyone. We're going to say, if you want to any time give in this next season to this project, the Outer Court project, then we're just going to give an opportunity. Just put whatever you want to give to us in an envelope, mark it out of pro- outer court, and we will put that dedicated towards this project. But we want to, we're going to kick off as, as in phase one, as getting the stonework done so we can get it ready for a door to go in. That's the first stage. That the, the, the price I've just given you doesn't include the front, the actual front itself. This is just to get the door and, and something that looks so people can see in. So there you have it. I'll send these pictures through to those who are registered on the on the website so you can see this in more detail. But there you have some of the things that I think come into line practically that I want us to do as a church. And we work with this together to kind of do what Hezekiah did for his temple. But I just want to move on just finally for my third point now. We do all these things. We do all these practical things, but I also think we need to be inviting. We need to be accessible, attractive, but inviting. What does that mean for you? To be inviting, to be able to once again say, I'm going to bring people in. I'm going to invite my friends. I'm going to invite my family. I'm going to invite them, not worried about what it, whether things are perfect and there's work in progress. But I'm going to invite them in. I want you to turn with me just fine as we finish to... Second Chronicles 30, just jumping a, a little bit further on, should come up on the screen. This is just after Hezekiah's done all the work. He's put the gold on the doors, he's finished, and it didn't take him long, it says, to do this. And in Second Chronicles 30, verse 1, it says, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh. Inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord. He didn't just sit in the temple hanging about and waiting. He says he invited them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now skip to verse 10. He says the couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king, Hezekiah, and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. Now skip to verse 25. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including foreigners who had come from Israel and all those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. He isn't talking about the gold on the doors. He's not saying there's nothing like this in Jerusalem. He's saying that when the God's presence came in, when there was much rejoicing, and the priests and the Levites and the people who came, did you not just see that? It said that people went out. Hezekiah sent out people 
He said, go and invite people to come to the temple. We're not just going to sit here and just hope for the best with the gold on the doors. We're not just going to hope for the best and people think, oh yeah, the temple's open because we see the doors open. It took an opportunity. People had to go out and do something physical and invite people to come in. I believe that when we, we when we do all we're going to do, it doesn't mean we can sit back and relax and it just talks the message for us. But we have to be prepared in our hearts not only to work on this project, but to go out and invite people in. There is a duty on us. The danger is that we can trust the gold on the doors, if you know what I mean. We can trust our our appeal to be the thing that when people drive and look and think, that's a super church. That that's the thing that will attract. But let me tell you, it's Jesus, the message of the good news that's the attractor. It's the offer, it's the thing that points people to him. Verse 10 said this, that the couriers, the couriers went from town to town. And he says people scorned and ridiculed them. I'm putting you off street ministry already. Do you know when since I've been out in over a year, I've, only, I've had about two, three people. I can barely count them in my hands of people who've been opposed to what I've said. And I've never preached at them either. They just don't like people being nice to them or kind and loving. Some people just don't like it. That's fine. We move on. Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet and get on. If they ain't going to listen, then we have, there's always another one who will. There's always someone waiting. But the couriers, it says, for King Hezekiah went. I want to tell you today, you're not just people who are working in the temple. God is calling us to be couriers. Couriers to release the news. Couriers to go and deliver, even when we're scorned and ridiculed. The message puts it like this, what we've just read. He says, the people poked fun at them, treated them as a joke. But not all, it says. Some of them were not too proud to accept this invitation. (laughs) Hallelujah. There it is, pride getting in the way. But we still must go. Back in 2011, DHL, a big organization for a delivery courier organization, did a campaign. And the advert said, excellence simply delivered. Excellence simply delivered. The adverts that ran went to the song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I'm not going to try and sing it. Ain't no mountain high enough. You know it. It went to the tune of this song and it went all around the world and this this yellow thing was flying across the mountains and going through places. And he says, ain't no mountain high enough. And the slogan was, excellence simply delivered. Let me tell you this, what we have inside of us is treasure in jars of clay. Remind yourselves this morning, you are not just to come to church, you have treasures inside your earthen vessels. And it's excellent. It is excellent. It is of king's excellence. You don't need gold on the doors to attract people. You can do this, but we need to go and invite them. And when they come, it talks the language. They'll say, oh, the gold's nice, but I love what you've got inside of you. 
Because what's inside of you has been delivered to me is excellence. He's from the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And we need to have not only this attitude of that we are couriers for the kingdom. We are couriers for the kingdom. That God is waiting today just like DHL has sat there waiting for their employees to take the packages and hoping that they're going to deliver them on time. God has got a load of packages ready and waiting for us with the good news of the gospel for people to receive all around this city, all around the world. And he's looking at every single one of us saying, you are my couriers. Please pick up the parcel. Please take it. Don't leave it there. Because there's going to be one day when God sends his son and he returns to this earth. And when he does, he's going to be judging us for the things we did do and we didn't do. And he'll be saying, look, son, look, daughter, look at all these things, these parcels that you could have delivered. They were all there and you were too busy doing your programs, doing the things that you wanted to do. All I want you to do is deliver my excellence. All I want you to do is to do what it says in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Let me tell you, you say, I don't know if I'm in this. This is not me. We're all couriers for the kingdom. Jesus called us to be whatever shape or form that's going to be for you. But you're going to present the excellence of the kingdom. When it ran that whole stream, that advertising to ain't no mountain high enough. When they hit the scorners and the ones who ridiculed, there they had it walking straight into their first mountain. Do we turn around and walk back? Do we turn around and walk away from this? This is a mountain. But let's have the attitude that DHL had in 2011. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. I'm going to keep going for you, Jesus. I don't care if someone ridicules me. I don't care if they threaten me. I'm going to deliver your excellence to anyone. Because your spirit lives inside of me. Hallelujah. As I come to finish Luke 14. Talks about the parable of a great banquet. Jesus described it. He says, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. So that my house will be full. He says, go out into the streets and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. The master is Jesus. He's saying to us, some's not going to want to come in. Some are not going to want to come in and refuse. In fact, in that parable, it says some of them, they went out and they were too proud. They said, no, we're busy. We don't want to come. There's ones who you'll go to, you think. Are the ones, but remember what I said right at the beginning, it's a one size fits all church. You go and invite any person, anyone. The master said, go and tell anyone to come. Whoever wants to come into my presence, whoever wants to come and receive life abundantly, go and tell anyone to come. Finally, second Chronicles 29 said, there was nothing like this in Jerusalem. I want this place To be recognized, not for the gold on the doors. Not for how good the coffee is. And I've said it many times before, but let me say it again. But it's recognized for something different inside here. That the presence of God, that when people come, they know Jesus is here among us. They know he is here.
That's the most important thing. Let's stand. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.